Good morning. My name is Mike St. Dennis. I'm the associate pastor here at All Souls Fellowship, and I want to wish to you, to your family, to your loved ones, a happy new year. Uh, You may be checking our church out for the first time today as uh, what happens come the new year, and and I just want to let you know it's always a good time to come and check out what's going on here in our midst. Uh, At the end of our service, we'll have the announcements, and they're going to highlight some things that are going on here in our community over the next few weeks, including Be the Bridge 101, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, the Women's Ministry Study of Sacred Rhythms, and, and so much more. So stick around and watch those announcements to see how you could get involved with us. And then a special treat after the announcements, you'll see uh, some bloopers from recordings from this past year. So be sure to check that out. And also this last Friday, Stephen, our our lead pastor, put out a video of Friday Five, giving some announcements and updates about where we're going here in the new year. And uh, especially starting next week, our new sermon series in the book of Nehemiah, where we're going to talk about how God rebuilds his people when they've been away in exile. And and what struck me about what Stephen had said is just the, how God makes something out of the ruins. And being here in this space feels a little bit like the ruins. Uh, if you've been watching some of the sporting events over the last few weeks, like I have, you just, it's so weird to see empty stadiums. Uh, it's even weirder to be in the midst of an empty place. Now, there's a few faces here that I'm really glad to have along, but I kind of wish we had some of those cardboard cutouts, too, of, of Bob over here and Kelly and Emily and Rob and, and some others. But uh, because we don't have those, uh, I'm just going to have to do my best to look at the camera and then enjoy this time with other people. I was thinking this week about New Year's because it was New Year's and it's what we do and reflecting back over the year, as many of us have done. Uh, And I thought back to a time back in either late April or May where I was looking forward to New Year's. In the midst of quarantine and the pandemic, thinking about how are we going to look back on this time? A time that for me I thought was going to be marked in days and weeks, certainly not months and potentially years. But thinking about what are we going to look back and notice about this time? And it happens every year, and and it's probably especially necessary this year, given the things that we've been through, to take some time here to reflect, to think about this last year and to take measure, to take stock of things, to consider uh, what this year has been like, the things that we've lost and the things that we've gained. Thinking about our own community and the reality that, that many of us have indeed lost loved ones a beloved nephew and cousin, a mother, a father, aunts, uncles, friends. We've seen relationships dissolve as we lose touch with one another. We've seen the loss of jobs and opportunities. We've seen the loss of valuable rhythms and routines and and the sense of of freedom uh, that we normally take for granted in operating in our world. So as we get started this morning, I just want to to take some time to pause and and to think about that. What have you lost this year? What's a loss that you've experienced, something that's been taken away from you, something that you've missed? Now, this isn't a rhetorical question, but this is a practice. So I really want you to think about that, and then I want you to turn to somebody you're with, and I want you to tell them. And if you're watching this on your own, what I want you to do is send me a message or send a message to somebody that cares for you, mike at allsoulsfellowship.org. 
You see, one of the things I lost this last year was a sense of my own self-importance in part, realizing how hard ministry is in general and then especially in this format and realizing that it's not my work, but it's the work of the Spirit that's important. And so I want you to pay attention in considering your own thoughts and feelings today, the losses that you've experienced this year and to share that with one another. This certainly doesn't make for good TV, I think. All right, now, like we do when we consider the past, to to now think about something that you've gained. A new appreciation for Wellness Wednesdays and and practicing rhythms of physical and, and emotional and mental health. New opportunities to connect with our neighbors, those in our own homes to reach out to people who, uh, who are, are distant from us because uh, we've got to connect with the people close to us electronically. We might as well reach out to those who may be far away as well. New skills, navigating the rhythms of work and school and life, navigating new spaces, learning to be together even when we're separated by technology. So what's something that you've gained or discovered this year? Again, turn and tell somebody who's with you or send a message. This is kind of like a a practice of faith, right? This is like a test of faith because you're responding to things I'm saying and and we're just opening ourselves up to say, God, here's some of the things that are valuable in our life, things we've gained and things that we've lost. And we just want to lay those things down and bring them out here in the open. Of course, if you've done some of this reflection this week, again, as I've seen on social media or if you've been watching TV this week and and all the retrospectives, this is really important for us because we consider these positive and negative experiences, the circumstances of our lives, not just looking backwards, but also looking forwards because we're trying to find our bearings. We know that the, the time is still moving along. There's still things to be done. There's still opportunities to be had. And so we've got to move forward in that. And we want to have some sense of bearings for how we might do that. And yet now, maybe more than ever before, we're aware of our limitations to do so. To find our bearings in this world And to move forward with hope and confidence uh, that the things that we set out to do will be effective. I I was traveling around this week and visiting with some folks here in our community. And and it was amazing. I had to make note of it after visiting with maybe eight to ten different households. The number of people who all made the same comment, as we just heard in our prayer as well. That we know that the turning of the calendar doesn't necessarily mean all that much. That COVID and issues of, uh, of brokenness in our world, the, the struggle for security, the struggle for, for justice in our world, that, that these things don't necessarily respect the clock and the wiping clean as we take down the old calendar and put up the new. And yet at the same time, it's not enough just to talk about all the things that aren't going to work the things we can't trust. We have to find a way forward. And so we look outside of ourselves to some of the circumstances, wondering how long until we have herd immunity. 
How effective will our schools be going back to in-person? Will we be able to make up some of the things that we've lost from this last year, whether it be opportunities or lost wages and income or or just the loss of, of connection for our kids or the opportunities in education? And we're trying to look forward. And we have a great deal of circumstances to be hopeful about. But when we consider these practices and the way we orient ourselves in the world, we can see that we think about it by weighing and measuring things out. Weighing and measuring that which gives us optimism. That which maybe cautions us, even creates some despair. Saying, why would things get any better? In one conversation this week I had with some friends, Abigail and Julie shared with me and and reminded me that our way forward as followers of Jesus, it's not a way of optimism or pessimism, but it's a way of hope. That the hope that we have that's meant to govern our lives, to shape our actions, our longings, and our loves isn't alone in circumstantial facts, but it's in this eternal reality that the all-knowing and all-powerful, the perfect and holy and just God of the universe through which all was created, who is outside of our circumstances because he holds them in his hands, has come in to our circumstances. He's come into our predicament to bring this personal reality and that in his presence all things are made new. And so we don't have to settle for a way of optimism weighing the circumstances or a way of pessimism and despair about the world or about ourselves. We have another option, another route, the way of hope in Jesus. So friends, as we celebrate Epiphany today and we bring an end to the Christmas Season And Christmas kind of seems to have this like airplane landing and then it gets off the ground and it tends to not stop and slow down. And it feels that way a little bit, having one more Christmas sermon today. But I think it's important for us because the folks in this story, the Magi who were journeying afar to come and find the new king, they didn't know they were celebrating Christmas. They were just walking along the ordinary paths of their lives. They were wearing out the positive and the negative circumstances. And yet they came and they saw. And in encountering the newborn king, they were set out to go from that place traveling another road. So friends, as we think about the next days and weeks to come, as we go back to work, as kids go back to school, as we go back to the ordinary nature of a Monday and a Sunday afternoon and all that's to come, let us do so with hope. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter two as we look at verses one through 12. You can also follow along as the words will be on your screen. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. 
When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, we are ordinary people doing an altogether ordinary thing as we sit and listen uh, to our own hearts and thoughts and lives and the things that we've gained and lost this year. And then also to sit and once again, listen to your words speak to us. So God, it is our prayer that in this ordinary journey, you would meet us and that your presence would transform us for tangible, practical, along with existential hope that we can navigate the rest of this afternoon and evening and the weeks and days to come. And we thank you and we praise you. Amen. I, I was trying to remember the lyrics to the song, right? That the we three kings of Orient are. But I was trying to remember the version that we sang as a kid, right? About uh, the star exploding. Oh, uh, Royal Dynamite. That was the one, right? Star of wonder, star of light, star of royal dynamite. It exploded, high explosion, destroying all in its path. Do you remember that one? No? Well, I can tell you that claim on this story and the meaning that it has, uh, that story has no stronger claim on this than our sentimental nativity scenes like Heather talked about this morning. You see, we have this picture of what this event was like, of the Magi coming to visit, these we three kings. And it's interesting, in a good nativity scene, they, they represent various ethnicities and cultures, right? So when one's riding a camel, maybe one's on a donkey, maybe one is on the latest model horse or something like that. But, but there's some diversity, and it's meant to show this picture that, that all the nations are coming to be with the king. And that's true. That is something that's going on here, but not in those terms. And it's all about the gold and the frankincense and myrrh and these wonderful gifts. And they each have meaning that has been talked about and shared. And, and that's not something I'm going to get into necessarily here, but, but we have this vision of what this was like. But we have to understand what's in the passage versus the picture that we have. We have to come afresh and open ourselves up so that we can observe what is here because it means something very important for our lives. In verse 10, it says, 
when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother. The first thing that we need to observe about this passage is, is the setting. This isn't the shepherds and the angels and the animals and everybody's gathered around in the manger scene and, and now there's kings there as well and this beautiful picture which is biblical of, of everybody celebrating together, the nations joining together, the, the barriers being taken down, all of us surrendering to the glory and the simplicity of God's presence. Again, that's a good picture, but it's not what's here. Instead, they come and they find the family now, having moved out of the manger and out of where the animals are, and the shepherds have gone, and they're in the house. They're in the ordinary place when the visitors arrive. Like the nativity scene, I am prone in my life to want to have it all put together. I want to have all the important figures in the story represented in one space at one time, and everybody's got it put together. And then I want everybody to stay there in the proper place so that we can have this beautiful picture and enjoy it forever. And I treat my life and the world around me the same way, and maybe you do too. That we want to have all of the fruits of redemption, the picture of the kingdom, at least as it's accessible to us, we want to have it in one place and at one time. And we want to have it in our timing. But it's important to note that the, that the magi and the shepherds and all these visitors in turn coming to be with Jesus, that they all take their time. Because we have to understand that God sometimes is taking his time with us. That God's timing to bring about the discipline and the redemption and the healing and the justice in our world that he has promised sometimes goes a little slower than we would like. A little slower than we could manage on our own. And it's not without good purpose. He has purpose because he's encountering witnesses and giving testimony and circumstances for the whole world, not just my world. And so we have to think about the things in our life, the places where we want to see the kingdom unfold, where we want to see change and goodness born in us, in those closest to us, in the world around us. And we have to ask ourselves, are we embracing God's timing of this? For some of us, maybe embracing his timing means getting up and going on the journey. We need to pick up the pace a little bit. Maybe we're going a little bit too slow. We need to see that star of his goodness coming to heal our world, and we need to get more in line with it. But still, for others of us, when we encounter, once again, the brokenness that's around us, the limitations of our control and our timing, maybe that's a place where we need to surrender and ask God what he might be doing in that slowness. Hebrews 12 encourages us that when we think about our circumstances, positively and negatively, when we look back over the year, the relationships that we have, even the truth of the scripture, that we would gather all these things up in our hearts and minds, that they might encourage us to go forward, to run the race that's ahead of us, not a sprint, but to run with perseverance, 
to run trusting in God's timing, to run and move forward, to see the next part of the story unfolding before us. So where's a place in your life that you need to surrender God's timing? Tell somebody you're with, send a message to somebody else. Don't let that little question pass from you before you see how God might visit you with it. The second thing that we have to see from this passage and observe is that these aren't kings. During the time of King Herod, verse 1, magi from the east came. It's not three kings. We see three gifts, but there's not three kings. I got my kids more than three gifts, but there's not three of me. And there's not three kings, but we know there could be, but we know at least that there's more than one. And then second of all, they're not kings. They're magi. Do you know any Magi? I wonder if we Googled Magi, what we might find indicator. Anyway, Magi. Magi, in every other place in the Bible, this word is translated sorcerer. Sorcerer. You're a wizard, Harry. Sorcerers, right? And so in every other place in the Bible, there's this depiction that this type of person, this role is a sorcerer, a psychic, a dream interpreter, those who practice uh, supernatural mysticism, who participate in another realm, and they had an important place in ancient culture. You see, kings had dreams and they needed to be interpreted. Things were happening in the world as the stars were moving around, when planets were aligning and things happened in the world, and and they need to understand what the implications of that were for the kingdom. And so these sorcerers, these dream interpreters, really did have good standing in culture, usually as advisors to, to rulers. And I wonder if we don't have some sorcerers in Washington sometimes. I wonder. But we have to see that these are people who are trying to navigate the world and the reality that we are, that there's so much about our world we don't understand along with all that we do. They're trying to navigate the world and explain it so that we can respond to it, so that we can move forward. And theirs was a wisdom that was built upon worldly wisdom, upon a human power to explain and understand the circumstances. I have to tell you, sometimes when I look at the COVID numbers, and this happened a lot this last year, I'm looking at it, and then I'm like, if you can tell me what this means, maybe you're a sorcerer, because I can't really figure it out. And, and just when we look around at the world and the way that we navigate relationships with so much cultural understanding, we think about the world and ourselves in scientific, psychological terms. We think about all of these things. We're trying to break these mysteries down to understand them so that we can respond, so that we can live into goodness. But the reality is, is that so many times we are navigating our world, we are walking forward in our own strength, limited by our own understanding. And so we are held captive to the hope or to the, the optimism or to the pessimism of our circumstances, of what we can see, of what the, the likely outcomes are. I think about folks in our uh, church who are walking in difficult relationships with others, 
who are walking along with people who are traveling very dangerous and difficult roads, who, look, who are holding on to values and understandings in the world that they're so afraid is going to take them far away from the things of God. And still for many of us, when we encounter our own brokenness and our own wisdom and our own understanding, sometimes we can think to ourselves, have I gotten too far off track? But if we embrace that Gandalf and his buddies or whoever these magi were who leaned on their own understanding and yet God directed them, even using their own looking to the stars, he brought them into his presence. Friends, no one among us is beyond the reach of God No one among us, no matter how foolish our ideas and our principles and our values, how incompetent our competency is, is beyond the reach of God to work in and through our foolishness, to bring us into his presence and to make us wise. So when you consider your relationships this week, the last week, the the people you've encountered who you just can't get along with their ideas, they're not making sense, you can't figure out which way that they're going, where their hope may lie, just know, just trust. Enter into their reality and listen because even those crazy spaces are not beyond the presence of God. Now, there is a direct, more direct path, right? So when we say that God, that, that no path, no road is beyond God's redirection in, there, there's also oftentimes a more direct path. You know, if the, if the Magi had known the scriptures, they would have known and seen that the one who was to be born was going to be born in Bethlehem. They wouldn't have had to put themselves in danger and go to Jerusalem first and to go to a competing kingdom First, they would have been able to take a more direct route. And that same thing is true for us, that, that, that we don't have to take the, the scenic route. We don't have to take the longer, bumpier, more mysterious route sometimes. We can submit ourselves to the story of God and the cloud of witnesses and all that he has said to us over and over again, that we cannot get to him in our own understanding but he can redirect us in it to himself. That we have a need for him, that we are limited and not capable of seeing and understanding and moving forward in hope in and of ourselves, but that he has come into us. And when we submit ourselves to his story, when we read through, we see person after person who's just like you and me. Somebody who's on a journey but may not always know the right direction. The last and and most important part of this passage, something that I have never thought about this phrase that's here until studying for this week, and so maybe it'll be meaningful to you as well. Look at verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, 
They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures. The Magi set out on a journey, and when they didn't find what they were looking for, they kept going in the journey. They kept searching. They kept looking. They let their longings, their earthly wisdom, they let their sense of need, their sense of, uh, of curiosity for the world lead them back on the journey. When they didn't find the king in Jerusalem, they didn't turn back and abandon the efforts, but they stayed the course, filling up the camels and getting back on the road. And then when they came to the house, they saw him. And they were moved. Bowing down, they were made low and worshiping him, they were raised up. And they opened up their treasures to him. Friends, the, the invitation of God is to go on the journey, to step into the next moment and the next day, the next challenge, the next opportunity to keep going along in the journey. But to go knowing that when we see him, we'll be moved. That when we see him, we may be convicted and say that we are traveling a road of our own wisdom, that we are not traveling a direct road, that we're not practicing the things that he has taught to us. And it may be, it may be something that brings us down low into humility and confession. And it may be a word of comfort and encouragement, one that lifts us up to be grateful for all that we have a word that lifts us up and moves in our hearts to worship God and to reach out for God and to be praise him and to experience the comfort and security that he offers. And only when we see him and only when we're moved by him will we open up our treasures. And so friends, as we close here today, I want to ask you about your treasures that which is most valuable to you. That which you are looking for in the world, that has the power to lift you up or to shut you down, to open your heart to others, to struggles, to opportunities, or that which has the power to shut you down. You see, we always think about treasures as being these tangible things like our time and our talent, tangible skills, or our treasures, our material possessions, our money and the like. But our treasures are deeper than that as well. Our treasures are the things that have the power to shut us down, to send us back to bed, to cut off a relationship, to move away into a place of despair, or to bring us out. To say that this is a fight worth fighting. This is a rocky road, but it's a road worth traveling. Those are our treasures. So we have to ask ourselves, what do we love? What do we hate? What do we do? What do we stay away from? What do we think about and sing about and look for in the world? And in traveling on this road, when we see the king, 
The God who's outside of our circumstances and holds them all together, but comes into the circumstances, subjecting himself to us when we really see him, when he makes us low or raises us up. He opens us up so that we can bring our treasures to him. The road that we have to travel in the days and the weeks to come, it's not about the pandemic or the challenges we faced or the opportunities ahead. All those things have always been there and they're always going to be there to some degree. But the way forward is a way of hope, knowing the one who holds all those things in his hands. Bringing the treasures of our lives to him. Do you see him? Has he made you low or raised you up? Will you open up your treasures to him? Amen. Friends, as we come to the table, the invitation is to bring all that you have. That which is important to you, that which hurts you, that which is frustrating you this week, that which you're curious about, your doubts, your hopes, your fears, all these ideas you have about yourself or about others, about the world, to bring them all. And to be nourished for the journey ahead by this reminder that he has come to us. As we come to the table, let us pray the prayer of thanksgiving together. The Lord be with you. We lift up our hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples celebrating the Passover meal in the upper room and he took bread and after giving thanks, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat of it. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after giving thanks, he blessed it and gave it to them saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. And the apostle Paul reminds us that when we eat this bread, and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So together we proclaim the mystery of the faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Amen.